and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy divisional round. Hope you guys have been enjoying some of the bigger picture fantasy content we've been putting out here. Big weekend of football ahead, but as we've been doing here over the last few weeks, still taking a bit of a step back, trying to figure out exactly what happened throughout that 2022 season. Get us, get our minds, get us all right physically mentally emotionally fantasy football lee whatever the hell you want to say about it get us right ahead before we start to look deep in depth at the 2023 season and of course beyond for you dynasty fans out there so again thank you as always for tuning in today's goal going to be looking at the top over and under performers from this last season based on how they finished versus their preseason adp so a couple you know just disclaimers and you know routes i had to go through to help complete this process i did go ahead and use fantasy pros consent ADP use it from about three or four solid sources, including ESPN, Yahoo, Sleeper, etc. Also, I use full PPR scoring and I get it, guys. I am a fan of half PPR myself, but I do feel like the industry standard these days is full PPR. So hate it or love it. It's what we do right now. We will roll with that. Also, my rankings are going to be fantasy points per game. I'm not trying to make this an entire episode on their overall finishes because then we just kind of be talking about who stayed healthy the whole year and who did not. Minimum eight games played, though, because I do believe that even if availability is maybe not the best ability, it could be too. I mean, you can't score points if you're not on the field. So availability best ability it's at least an important ability and i can get behind that and also i did target more so the players with higher adp to begin with so and by higher i mean lower good freaking job using the english language ian but basically i just want to look more so at the guys that we were drafting earlier in drafts not explaining why the wide receiver 90 in preseason adp finished as the wide receiver 70 in ppr points per game because guess what even though they did outperform that adp you probably weren't getting much use out of them throughout the season so with all that said everyone going position by position with the overperformers and underperformers and some key takeaways along the way so let's get after it starting with the biggest overperformers at quarterback we had justin fields daniel jones geno smith jared goff marcus mariota and jimmy garoppolo standing out as the big six in this each of them managed to put forward double digit increases in terms of their adp to their per game finish the biggest one overall does go to geno smith who wasn't even being drafted uh back in august obviously was in that quasi i mean i guess it was legitimate a uh, quarterback battle with drew lock and then we saw what he did once he really got going so my first big lesson from this is the fact that dual threat quarterbacks remain a cheat code in fantasy land. Justin Fields putting up the second most rushing yards in a single season ever at the position. Danny Dimes himself, 708 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. Even Marcus Mariota, before he got benched, was providing, you know, fantasy points per game at a QB 17 level after being drafted as the QB uh, 29. So I've talked, you know, in the past and hardly the first person to come out here and say that, you know, dual threat quarterbacks give you an extra nice floor in fantasy football land but it really is extreme guys especially when you consider there aren't that many justin fields and daniel jones types out there anymore i went ahead and looked at the last 10 years of data and only eight quarterbacks have actually averaged nine or more rush attempts per game in a season with at least eight starts over these past 10 years. And even if you look at the group, which is a little bit less, six to you know nine rush attempts per game, only 26 quarterbacks have cleared that mark. But the percentage of these guys that are just fantasy stars is absolutely wild. So again, I'm looking at per game, both rush attempts and per game fantasy finishes. So I am not just rewarding guys that stayed healthy. Oh, look at all these rush attempts. You know, look how 
how great they were. This is on a per-game basis, guys. And I had the disclaimer in there about the eight games played, so we aren't looking at the you know Malik Willis's, the Sam Ellinger's of the world who actually weren't able to keep the job long enough to qualify. So with all that in mind, top six fantasy finishes, guys. Overall, again, not overall, top six fantasy finishes on a per-game basis. Six to nine rush attempts per game from the QBs. 42% of those players hit that, while 63% of the quarterbacks with over nine rush attempts per game managed to finish as in top six. It's under 20% for quarterbacks with fewer than six rush attempts per game. So those samples are a lot bigger, but guess what? There aren't that many dual threat quarterbacks still in the NFL. So I think, again, the big takeaway here, when we looked at Justin Fields and Daniel Jones, I get why they weren't necessarily going as top 12, top 10, top 13 quarterbacks. And yeah, they should be. But I'm also not going to come here as we're going through every single list and say, oh, I knew this all along. You know, if I knew it all along, why the hell didn't I rank these guys exactly where they were going to finish? But truly, Justin Fields and Daniel Jones, ADPs as the QB 17 and the 25 definitely should have realized that they were guys that had at least the fantasy skill set prototype were built in the fantasy laboratory basically to be far better fantasy talents than real life weapons at least on the stat sheet i am not coming here to slander daniel jones let's get the man a couple great wide receivers see what happens Lesson number two from these overperformers, pocket passers that have multiple high-end weapons to work with should be prioritized over those that don't. And this is pretty easy to identify with our three other big overperformers, Geno Smith, Jared Goff, and Jimmy G. Look, we knew what the 49ers and even the Lions were going to be offering before this season. And then with the Seahawks, I'm not going to say that we should have known the Seahawks were going to all of a sudden descend to being this legit above-average offense throughout the season. But once we did see it for a couple weeks and you got DK Metcalf, Kathy got Tyler Lockett. Noah Fant's helping stretch the seam. The run game from Rashad Penny to Kenneth Walker is looking good. Should have. And I think we were pretty quick on the waiver pod additions to, you know, hype up Geno Smith and everything he was doing. Should have really been prepared to go all in on that. So once we get to some of our bigger underperformers, actually a nice little transition to that. When we look at guys like Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, and Justin Herbert, who all had big time drops in terms of their ADP to their finishes on a per game basis. I mean, Matthew Stafford subbing out OBJ to Allen Robinson. We all kind of just assumed that was going to be a net, you know, push positive even i mean some of those fluff pieces on a rob written back in august it was easy to get hyped up about that probably didn't pay quite enough attention to the fact that we didn't really have an awesome backfield to speak of and the offensive line was losing some resources as well Aaron Rodgers, two-time reigning MVP. We figured he would get it done with pretty much no lessons, but guys, no weapons, but guys, you know, you look at Tom Brady in 2019, the last year with the Patriots, and then look at him the next two years with the Buccaneers. I know 2022 wasn't fabulous, but he looked legit not from an arm strength perspective like washed in 2019, but it certainly looked like the best years of his career were behind him. You put three, four better weapons out there on the offense. Things change in a hurry. With Russell Wilson, we overestimated how good those Broncos weapons were and perhaps how much Russ was a, you know, product of some of the weapons he had in Seattle, at least here in recent years, hard to look at it any other way. And then with Tom Brady himself losing Gronk, having to go from Antonio Brown to Russell Gage, two awfully big factors that when you combined with Chris Godwin being at less than 100%, 
really throughout most of the year. I know he caught a lot of receptions, but you look at his efficiency measures, and this was one of the worst versions of Chris Goblin that we've seen. That's why full PPR continues to be a hell of a drug regardless. But all these guys really had probably some bigger red flags than we anticipated. Justin Herbert's, Justin Herbert's uh, inclusion on this list, I think more so comes down to end-season injuries to Keenan, Mike Williams, and even himself with the rib issue than anything I'm going to overly look into more. So anyway... This really was the quarterback dead zone because you look at these ADPs, Brady, Russ, Rodgers, and Stafford, they were all between QB8 and QB12. And even around those guys, we had Trey Lance, who we couldn't have predicted he was going to you know, break his ankle two weeks into the year. Derek Carr was another bust. Kirk Cousins was someone who did finish strong and ended up finishing as a top 12 quarterback in his own right, so didn't bust. But- didn't bust, but also wasn't exactly someone we were thrilled about starting, you know, the first 10, 12 weeks of the season. So this all kind of led me again, looking at this kind of quarterback dead zone we had when the quarterback eight to quarterback 14 range, and then seeing some of the overperformers again, the Justin Fields, Gino, Daniel Jones is Jimmy G's of the world. And it just made sense in my mind to try to look this up where late round darts at quarterback sure seemed to be a lot better than any other position. And that is true. So again, not reinventing the wheel here. I think we all kind of realize that quarterbacks usually in one quarterback leagues go later than the other positions because we can find that value elsewhere. And because there's only one of them, we don't have to lean into it as much as we do at running back or wide receiver, but just looking at last year. So the average ADP of a top 12 finishing quarterback was pick 110.5. The average ADP of a top 24 running back was 40. Top 24 wide receiver, 45. Top 12 tight end was 80.6. So think about that, guys. I mean, round 10 is basically getting you to pick 120. So we're talking round nine was basically the average ADP of these top 12 quarterbacks. And the reason why it is that low is because five different guys managed to crack it outside of the top 10 rounds of the draft. Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, Tua Tagovailoa, and Trevor Lawrence all got there. We had two tight ends managed to accomplish that Again, not having a top 10 round ADP, but finishing as a top 12 per game scorer, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, but running back and wide receiver, even boosting it to top 24 for each, only Jamal Williams managed to crack into that top 24 with an ADP outside of the top 120. So this is not advice to fade your Josh Allen's or, you know, Jalen Hurts, your Kylo Murray type guys. I understand not all of them necessarily met value in their own right that I just listed, but I'm more so talking about the discrepancy between the middle and lower class. Honestly, at both quarterback and tight end. I put a lot of time into this article, the show sheet, the podcast, whatever the hell, this content, I should say. And that is my biggest takeaway from all this that I'm talking about. The middle class of quarterbacks really was overstated because at the bottom we could have gotten in these later rounds and truly sometimes around 16 17 with these guys your jared goffs of the world your daniel joneses of the world and again the difference between those guys and your Derek cars your tom brady's your aaron Rodgers, like when it's literally almost 100 picks sometimes it's worth it to go ahead and just take the cheaper guy in that equation so again not rocket science to think that you can go late round quarterback shout out jj's Zacharies, and I know he's been preaching this gospel for a freaking decade at this point. But I just think, again, we almost saw people, I think, try to fill out their roster too much. I mean, I think that is a phenomenon, but particularly more with novice fantasy players. You know, not trying to hate in anyone, playing one league, playing 20 leagues, playing a thousand leagues. I don't care. I love you all. We all love football. But 
when you see that rush of quarterbacks going, and we had it, it was that, you know, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, round six range that we were loving to exploit here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. After that range, we did have Dak and Burrow do fine enough, but I think we really saw people looking at their rosters. They maybe had their tight end, but they definitely at that point had four or five running backs and wide receivers each. And instead of continuing to make a strength, a superpower, we were, we, ha- we were having people basically take those quarterbacks when they didn't necessarily need to yet. So that's my biggest takeaway here. A quarterback and tight end moving forward, all in or all out. Because again, you just look at the discrepancies in the overall picks. It's not even the pre-draft rankings that is the issue here. It's the fact that we had Jalen Hurts, QB6. Yeah, great. Pick number 50. The difference between Hurts and Derek Carr, who went at pick number 106, was as big as Derek Carr and Jared Goff. So, yeah, I, I do think it's fair that we were that much higher and confident on Jalen Hurts and Derek Carr, but we should not have been that much more confident on Derek Carr versus guys like Jared Goff as well as Daniel Jones, who were, again, more than 50 picks later than Derek Carr when he was himself only 56 picks away from Jalen Hurts. So don't hate the player. Hate the ADP. And these ADPs this year are going to be different than they were in past years. This happens all the time. We see the guys who finished last season. They're going to end up being at the top here. And I don't want to act like that we Again, should have just 100% seen all these busts coming. Each of these underperformers I mentioned, Stafford, Rodgers, Russ, Brady, and Herbert, they were all literally really good in 2021. Like it wasn't that long ago or anything like that. Again, I just think when you look at their ADPs relative to where other players at the position were going compared to guys like Hertz, this middle tier, the middle class of fantasy QBs was being overstated. And I think it could happen again, because again, after seeing Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, these guys just helping drag some of these fantasy teams throughout the season when we saw scoring be down, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see guys like Hertz, Mahomes, and Josh Allen, who's already basically going in the top two, three rounds, seeing these guys even more consistently dragged up to the top of drafts, leaving the middle class to probably start infiltrating that, you know, even higher area. Maybe we have guys in that, you know, QB 10 through 12 range now going in round five and round six instead of round seven and round eight. So my biggest advice, if we do see that come to fruition, is to stand pat, take the now fantastic running backs and wide receivers that are being bypassed for quarterbacks and realize that we're going to hit a point where guys have their one quarterback and then we have a ton of opportunities at the very end of the draft to throw darts at proper archetypes like Daniel Jones, like Justin Fields, like Trevor Lawrence, who, again, no, they're not sure things either, but don't overestimate our ability to discern that difference between the middle class and the lower class at quarterback. All right, guys, let's move on to some running back chatter now. Biggest overperformers from last season, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, Kenneth Walker, and Jamal Williams. I mentioned before there was only one running back or wide receiver that ended up cracking their top 24 with an ADP outside of the top 10 rounds, and that was Jamal Williams himself. So I think the one big quality and the one big takeaway I had from this list of five names is the fact that talent evaluation, at least in terms of our the running back's ability to command a three-down roll still matters. So, look, we've seen Dearness Johnson, Zonovan Knight. I mean, these guys be like, you need to start, like, must-start fantasy options during the season based on pure sweet volume. I mean, if you're going to have 20 touches out there and you have a pulse, there's a good chance you're going to be cracking most guys' top 20 at the running back position. 
That said, when we are looking for our zero RB targets, our late round gems, you really need to find someone who has the capability to make something of that role should it come down their way and have that theoretical three down ability, which I do believe all five of these guys had. We unfortunately found a reason for to just penalize them enough throughout this. That's why they had ADPs, you know, of really the RB 30 or less. I mean, Josh Jacobs finally got up to the RB 20, but depending on the draft you were in, you could see him slide down to round six round seven who knows how low depending on when the draft was going on so with Jacobs, we knew he was a stud on the ground. There was the fit, you know, declining the fifth round extension. We had the Hall of Fame game, but by the time the season came around, I would just say that I personally probably leaned too much into Josh McDaniel's history using those running backs. Because to be fair, I mean, that wasn't New England, as we've seen with Patricia and Belichick. I mean, a lot of coaches have influence on who gets to do what. And there was something to be said for did the Patriots ever have a three-down running back like Josh Jacobs, two overly features. So Jacobs, credit to him has flashed on the ground in past years. And with the receiving chops, we saw him do it at Bama. We even saw him do it in Vegas for a bit. Just was a matter of can he, you know, overcome Zamir White, Kenyon Drake, Brandon Bolden, Amir Abdullah, all these other guys. And the answer was a resounding yes. Tony Pollard, top five efficiency numbers at the position even before this season's breakout and someone that even if you knew you weren't getting amazing standalone value, which guess what? We ended up getting that in our own right, had such high handcuff potential that I don't think anyone's overly surprised to see him, you know, be able to crack his way up overly high. Ramondre Stevenson, someone that honestly, I... One of my bigger misses, and I remember mocking the whole kind of situation where I was like, all right, we need... James White to retire. We need, uh, you know, JJ, JJ Harris, Kevin Harris, JJ Taylor, excuse me, Kevin Harris not to be uh, in the picture and to carve out a role. We need another fourth round pick in Pierre Strong, just like Ramondre Stevenson, not to be a factor. And we need Damian Harris to score 15 rushing touchdowns last year to also not, you know, take away too much run from Ramondre Stevenson. And oh, yeah, Ty Montgomery, who they signed and who actually worked ahead of Ramondre Stevenson in week one before getting sent to IR. We need him to not be in the picture as well. And at the end of the day, a lot of those things ended up happening. So with Ramondre, I guess the thing is, I mean, he was the RB 36 in ADP. And that is the thing with Ramondre and some, you know, Josh Palmer was another one. Like sometimes I, I get going like that. I get on the spiel and I'm being too critical of a guy that has the freaking ADP as an RB 36 in the first place. So that's, again, I think the bigger issue there. He had shown the ability at Oklahoma to catch the ball and he had some flashes on the ground. In 2021, even, you know, excluding that 90-yard touchdown in the preseason against a bunch of future garbage men. So, again, with Stevenson, I think the lesson here as well for me personally is, like, let's not completely get ourselves in the weeds when we're talking about a guy that was going as pick number 99 off the board. I mean, we're talking about Stevenson going next to guys like Robert Woods, Alan Lazard, Melvin Gordon. I see Justin freaking Tucker on the ADP list that I'm looking right now where Stevenson was going in the same round as that dude. I mean, Bill's defense is up around there. So with Stevenson, again, someone that personally, I probably just dug too much into what could go wrong for him instead of looking at the guy as having that theoretical three down skill set and being in an offense that while there were other options similar to Josh McDaniels, like don't be overly uh, just, I guess on both sides. There we go. Don't be overly confident that you can set the backfield, which I, w- I was not doing that. I was completely thinking it was going to be a mess. 
At the same time, similar to Josh Jacobs, might might as well think that, that when there is a guy that has, again, proven three-down talent, there at least is a possibility of them taking that over. That's where I went wrong. I let my New England Patriots, 20 freaking years of this shit, barely anyone take over, force me to miss a bit on both the New England and the Las Vegas backfield. Kenneth Walker, someone that finished as the RB16 in PPR points per game at the position, only had the ADP as the RB38. So with Walker, and you just look at what happened this year, had the injury coming in, had Rashad Penny out there with the starting job, and then he didn't even get the receiving workload that we were necessarily thinking that he could handle. Only 11 receiving yards per game, but that path to 200-plus carries was always on the table regardless, and I understand Rashad Penny, as he proved again this year, hasn't exactly been able to stay healthy. So with Kenneth Walker being this top 50 pick, and you just read some of the stuff that we read on here from the PFF draft guide and people that truly know ball should have at least given him a longer look. Again, at RB be 38 so stevenson pollard to a lesser extent kenneth walker these are guys that had reason to believe that they could you know make good use of this role like if we had just said okay ramondre stevenson kenneth walker where would we rank them during the week if they do get the feature back role then all of a sudden we have guys going in the legit RB4 range, depending on the draft, managing to help us in a major way if just a few things go right. And finally, Jamal Williams, who we talked about a bit before in ad nauseum in the offseason. My year's pick to be the 2022 version of James Conner. Even though we didn't quite get that same three-down role with Swift when Swift got injured. I mean, it was annoying with Justin Jackson really staying super involved, and even Craig Reynolds alongside Jamal during that stretch as well. We didn't get that, but we got that sweet goal line role and that's something that guys like Isaiah Spiller, Tyrion Davis-Price, guys that they were rookies, they were going ahead of Jamal Williams and I think many were overconfident and expecting them to have that role that we already knew Jamal Williams was going to have. So again, biggest takeaway from some of these overperforming running backs is that a lot of running backs out there, especially if they're already being drafted in round six and beyond, they have some red flags. We get that. That's why they're not going in the first couple of rounds anyway. Let's at least make sure that we're targeting running backs where we think they have the talent, where if the red flags end up turning green and going their way, they can make a big, big impact with it. All right, guys, now the biggest underperformers in terms of their drop-off from ADP to their final PPR per game finish. We have Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Cam Akers, Kareem Hunt, and Chase Edmonds. So the first four, I think, unfortunately, fell victim to being in bad offenses without true workhorse volume. In Jonathan Taylor's case, he actually did get that legit workhorse role after Naeem Hines got traded to the Buffalo Bills. And even before that volume wasn't truly the issue, more so than anything with Jonathan Taylor, it's a reminder that we shouldn't be overly confident in our ability to predict injuries because they can be a real bitch. They can be really random and even take out some of the best players, best and youngest players at the position. I mean, truly, Jonathan Taylor, Javante Williams, Brees Hall, we are talking about complete studs in their early 20s that unfortunately were the ones missing time, whereas Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, you know, the poster boys for the ones who are supposed to be getting injured out there. Zeke Elliott, I know he did get injured and miss a little time, but we're talking about guys with so many miles already you know in the tank continuing to keep on keeping on so don't be overly confident in our ability to predict injuries and then with Najee Akers and Kareem Hunt 
at least with Najee and Hunt, it was reasonable enough to have big-time questions about this offense. And with Cam Makers as well, that Rams offensive line dropping down should have at least been a slight red flag. So with Najee, unfortunate event for him was just Jalen Warren coming on pretty strong and him honestly dealing with some injuries in his own right before the season started. But yeah, last year, Najee Harris was the freaking number two running back and expected PPR points per game behind only Derrick Henry. This year is the RB12, so he was pretty bad in both years. But when you're falling from number two, you know, you can still be an RB1 when you're falling from number 12. That's why Najee finishes the RB19 in PPR points per game. So I guess, you know, something that we tried to really ram home, I think, last summer, uh, myself and Dwayne McFarlane on the PFF Fantasy Podcast was kind of the four factors that go into the overwhelming majority of our fantasy decisions. And that's the player's personal talent. It's their offensive environment. It's their workload. And then a lot of times it can basically be like, what's their schedule look like? What's the matchup look like, especially on a per week basis? And with Najee and Cam Akers, at a minimum, guys, we had really inefficient running backs. And you can point to Najee's first round volume. You can point to Cam Akers, you know, and the things he did before his Achilles injury. But based on what we saw at the professional level in 2021, we had two objectively bad running backs in offenses that, especially at the line of scrimmage, had some major questions. So, yes, we thought that Najee and we thought that Cam Akers relative to his ADP would have the sort of volume to overcome that. But just be careful again when we have two of our four potential you know, categories here that we're really focusing on, arguably the two most important two or two of the top three, at least you could say, when those are both pretty bright red, red flags, hard time, you know, spending a premium pick on those guys. Other running back I mentioned in here, Kareem Hunt. This is just a situation where it's, Kareem Hunt was kind of being drafted in a similar range as Cordero Patterson, Tony Pollard. So it didn't exactly kill you. You know, I had plenty of teams with Kareem Hunt that I would have, you know, preferred to have drafted someone else there for sure. But you didn't exactly, you know, look back at the end of, uh, you know, December and say, oh, man, if I had just not picked Kareem Hunt, you know, think about the way my season could have gone. You could have definitely had that thought if you were looking at, you know, Najee or Cam Akers and one of those guys. But with Kareem Hunt, he did turn 27 in August, which is just about the end of that age cliff. We knew Nick Chubb was going to be there probably shouldn't have been overly optimistic about the Jacoby Brissett version of this offense even though Brissett ended up being a lot better under center than Deshaun Watson this year which is something I never thought I would be here saying to you guys so with Kareem Hunt can't be perfect again didn't get injured he went out there he was the worst version of himself that we've seen would just be again in his case when we have those multiple red flags of his workload playing behind Nick Chubb and the overall offense he at least himself and that's why he was going outside the top 30 running backs I get it but again multiple red flags for some of these wide receivers some of these running backs I should say don't be afraid to potentially take the more talented wide receiver if it's uh you know this guy or that guy situation Final point here, Chase Edmonds was on this list. We just got to be careful about overestimating exactly how well we know the pecking order in a new backfield. And I, again, mentioned this already with Josh Jacobs and Ramondre Stevenson, two guys going into new situations with the play caller changing up that I, unfortunately, was more so on the wrong side of things with being especially confident in the unpredictability of what was going to happen there with Miami. I think we saw the opposite with a lot of people. I mean, Chase Edmonds has some borderline erotic preseason first team usage. And, you know, Raheem Mostert was someone that just based on his veteran status with Mike McDaniel in San Francisco before and probably being someone that shouldn't be, you know, force fed the ball in the preseason. 
even if they did use him on kick returner throughout the entire year for some unknown reason. Probably shouldn't have been as confident as we were with Chase Edmonds to really start booming this guy up into legit low-end RB2 territory by the time drafts came around. So again, RB34 ADP is what I'm seeing, you know, fantasy pros consensus, you know, it always depends on the draft you're in. And I'm not going to say that Chase Edmonds necessarily nosedive, you know, every single fantasy team out there. But at a minimum, guys looking at new play callers, new offenses, it is possible for us to, you know, be overly, uh, you know, confident one way or another and thinking that it's going to be leaned on one guy or be more so of a collection of the parts. So just another factor, I think, when you're looking at this player versus that player, especially with a premium pick, be awfully careful about assuming we know more than we actually do in brand new situations. All right, guys, moving on here to wide receiver. Similar lesson here with just not being too overly confident about the volume involved because that's kind of the main story we're going to see here for the entire list. The biggest overperformers, Devontae Smith, Tyler Lockett, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and then these rookie wide receivers, man, Chris Alave, Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, and Jahan Dotson all had big time near 20-plus, if not higher bumps in terms of their ADP to their final position finish in terms of PPR points per game. So. Yeah, each of these guys were able to, one, have the sort of draft capital or money put forward to their name to think that there was going to be a big role on the way. They also were heavily, at least these rookies, drafted inside the top three rounds of the draft, which historically is really more times than not, guys, going to be the story of a player's, not only their rookie season, but also their career. In terms of rookies, 80% or more of all quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, top rookie year performers, and I mean top as in top 12 quarterback or tight end, top 24 running back or wide receiver, 80% or more of them as rookies were drafted in the top three rounds. But even when you remove the whole rookie year thing, we still see these numbers, again, be well over 65%, regardless of experience at every single position. So look, we do have the James Robinsons of the world as a rookie and Amon Ross St. Brown got going, but we almost focus too much on those, you know, random examples, the outliers, if you will, instead of the guys that we do see more consistently ball out. And that does tend to be, again, our highly drafted or highly paid players. And finally, we do see players, and this was a great point that Dwayne McFarlane brought up last year uh, when we were going through things in the offseason. Stud rookie receivers in terms of PFF receiving grade, usually north of 75, usually tend to go on to achieve some pretty awesome things. I mean, this has helped expose guys like Hunter Renfro, Doug Baldwin, players that didn't even have a bunch of volume as rookies, but they were so damn good on it. They were able to go on and do bigger and better things. So again, Devontae Smith, he checked the box in terms of being a former first round pick and having the really good rookie season. Tyler Lockett, how many freaking years did we need to see Tyler Lockett do great things? before just completely writing them off the map for whatever reason, just because of an itsy-bitsy quarterback change under center. Christian Kirk and Zay Jones got paid, and they were in a situation where, honestly, the discrepancy in targets was overstated between the two guys, but they were both so cheap anyway, it didn't really matter. And then with these rookie-wide receivers, I mean, yeah, Alave had Michael Thomas there. Garrett Wilson had Elijah Moore. Christian Watson had Alan Lazard. Jahan Dotson had Terry McLaurin. But in all those cases, this was the cheaper receiver of the group. And when we look at those offenses, a Saints offense led by Jameis or Andy Dalton, a Jets offense led by Zach Wilson, a Watson offense obviously led by Aaron Rodgers, but with more you know uncertainty there in the pecking order than usual. And then Jahan Dotson, an offense with Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke, when we have offenses with multiple talented receivers that we know, again, 
Alave, Garrett, Watson, Dotson, these are all freaking top 35 picks of the position. I think we can say they're pretty good players. When we have multiple players like that in an offense, just take the cheaper guy because immediately moving along to our biggest underperformers, that's what we're seeing with a lot of these guys. DJ Moore, Brandon Cooks, Deontay Johnson, Cortland Sutton, Allen Robinson, Darno Mooney, and Elijah Moore. I mean, it's not that bad offenses can't produce a good fantasy wide receiver from time and time again, but definitely don't play, a, definitely don't pay a premium pick to find out. DJ Moore was the wide receiver 15 in ADP. Brandon Cooks, wide receiver 20. Deontay Johnson, wide receiver 16. I mean, we were all pretty damn certain the Panthers, the Texans, and the Steelers were going to be pretty terrible offenses that last year. So so Corlin Sutton, Allen Robinson, that's a little bit different. But even then, maybe a little bit overconfident about how that pecking order was going to play out with them each having some continuity issues. And then Darno Mooney and Elijah Moore, same thing, where I get it, they were – quite as expensive as those other players, but Mooney's still going as a wide receiver 30 in ADP. Even before his injury, he was just a wide receiver 59 in PPR points per game. And Elijah Moore, wide receiver 36 ADP. I mean, it was just one of those things, guy, where when you start looking at who they were going up against, I mean, Elijah Moore and guys like Brandon Ayuk, Tyler Lockett, just players and better offenses that had a very similar path to volume. I mean, Elijah Moore, I'm looking at him right now on the ADP list, directly next to Devon Smith out there and like were we that much more confident in Elijah Moore being better than Devontae Smith I know I wasn't so let's take the far better offense that we can feel better about and at a minimum you know if you want some exposure to the Jets go take the guy in Garrett Wilson who was going quite a bit cheaper than um, Elijah Moore really throughout the entire offseason and even at the end guys I mean Garrett wide receiver 50 ADP Elijah wide receiver 36 so and this isn't exactly something that you know we were ignoring going into last season i was actually more so i definitely looked at it with the jets and then also the seahawks were a team that we just expected to be a bottom 10 scoring offense and we can't 100 percent rely on our ability to project these you know top 10 bottom 10 scoring offenses every year famous would be a lot easier if we could but that's certainly one of the main goals as we move throughout the offseason but again when i was looking at the seahawks last year i did a study and i found out that on average, the top scoring wide receiver from a bottom 10 scoring offense has finished as the wide receiver 32 in full PPR scoring. There have been 20 instances of those low scoring offenses producing a top 24 wide receiver, also 20 of them not enabling anybody higher than 35th. So again, Moore, Cooks, you know, Deontay Johnson, Darna Mooney, Elijah Moore. I think we're being overly optimistic on them, especially because in Deontay's case and Elijah Moore's case, and even DJ Moore with Christian McCaffrey and that group when we have a bad offense and we have uncertain situations under center and again we're really freaking sure that this is not going to be a good offensive environment really take a long look at spending anything close to a premium pick on those top wide receivers take a cheaper option when possible all right, guys, tight end here. Lesser takeaways with this one. Just such a funky year. And honestly, at the end of the day, as we saw, you know, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, beyond those guys, just really tough to find anybody offering any minute amount of efficiency and just consistency as the season went on. That said, our biggest overperformers at the position, Evan Ingram and David Njoku, guys that, again, were not even going inside the top 10 rounds. Both managed to finish as top eight players at the position on a per-game basis. Also at Taysom Hill and Greg Dolchich really stand out as overperformers. So again, very similar takeaway, I think, as I had with quarterbacks in terms of these guys. And it even goes into the underperformers of the list. 
Hunter Henry, Mike Desicki, Albert O. I mean, these were guys that were going higher than the Joku and Evan Ingram. And obviously, in hindsight, it makes things a little bit easier. But just in terms of understanding that, you know, why was Cole Komet and Dawson Knox basically top 12 options at the position? Okay. Dawson Knox and Cole Komet, I can understand why they were top 12 options at the position, but when you start looking past the positional rank, and we do that sometimes where maybe maybe this is a fault of mine, we don't pay enough attention to the exact pick number. It's why we were on Dallas Goddard over Dalton Schultz, for example. I didn't disagree with Dalton Schultz being the tight end five ahead of Goddard, but when you looked at Schultz as the tight end five going around pick 55 or 60 versus Goddard going you know, 30 picks later sometimes, that was the big key there. So again, Dalton Austin Knox, pick 91. Cole Komet, pick 117. Najoku was pick 157, and Ingram was pick 186 in terms of that discrepancy. So one pledge I'm going to make here looking forward into this offseason and when we're really trying to find the value at the positions, it needs to be more so, again, not that we don't do this. We, You guys know me, podcast number 690 or whatever. I always find something to talk about and analyze. Well, plenty of guests to continue to check me on my bullshit when you know I'm getting carried away with whatever. But again, it's the discrepancy in the overall pick versus their positional ranking that I think really caused some people to get in the roots with that dead zone at both tight end and quarterback because there was value out there. And in both instances, you did not have to attack that middle class. You could go far lower. So not saying it's going to be that same way in 2023. Now we're reviewing what worked in 2022 right now, next year, and maybe this will be the last time things are even close to this, but again, tight end and quarterback. And this is my just overall biggest takeaway from this entire video and entire piece of content. Biggest takeaway here, guys, don't overestimate our ability to discern the difference between the middle class of the quarterback and tight end positions compared to the lower class of players. And finally, can we take away Taysom Hill's tight end eligibility already? This is fucking ridiculous at this point. Last year, this dude spent 148 snaps at quarterback, 101 snaps at wide receiver, and 50 freaking one as an inline tight end. Zero. Zero freaking targets as an inline tight end. Zero. And you want to tell me that's his full-time position? I'm okay with him being listed as a quarterback. I can live with him being listed as a running back. I'm even okay with him being a super flex player, not listed as tight end. But we have him listed as the one damn position that he basically doesn't even play. Doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, a lot of things don't make sense to me. They don't change. That's life in the big city. All right, guys, before we get out of here, we just want to give a quick shout out to a few of our lovely sponsors. The NFL playoff action continues. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57 and the NFL divisional round. Check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost the NFL winnings with each leg. You can add up to 100%. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL divisional round and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. Shout out to our friends over at Viore. I am rocking a hat from them right now. They're actually most well known for these dope sweatpants and also, you know, this like jacket thing. What was the um that Seinfeld episode where Jerry Seinfeld had like the jacket shirt? He didn't know really if it was trying to be more of a jacket or more of a shirt. They got some funky stuff like that. And I'm obviously not the guy to take fashion advice from, but maybe a couple of you people listening are kind of in a similar way. You got bigger things to worry about. And I will just say this. 
I love this hat. I have a weirdly shaped head. It fits me really well. I've struggled to find good fitting hats over the years. One of the reasons why I like bucket hats is because they seem to fit my big ass head. And Viore somehow has the hats that accomplish that. Again, very comfortable sweatpants, very comfortable hoodies. They're a big deal, guys. Viore, V-U-O-R-I, big deal. My fiance was pissed when she found out that they were sponsoring the pod and I basically used their little allowance they gave us on myself and not her. So now I need to go buy more stuff for her but i am happy to do that because viore is a brand i can get behind so luckily they are representing the pff fantasy football podcast and because of that viore is an investment in your happiness and our listeners they're getting 20 percent off your first purchase not too shabby everyone get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash pff pod again v-u-o-r-i dot com slash pff pod not only will you receive 20 percent off your first purchase but you'll also enjoy free shipping on any u.s orders over 75 dollars and free returns again that's viori v-u-o-r-i dot com slash pff pod and discover the versatility of viori clothing also everyone it is not it is never too early to play holiday music and it is never too early to start okay that's a christmas brand you know what we'll worry about that later all right guys i'm gonna wrap up this edition of the pff fantasy football podcast again it was fun going through some of those some of those top over and under performers and i'm going to continue really trying to hammer home exactly these findings and learnings at the position and being more diligent here into the offseason and beyond and just again taking all this stuff into account learning it and then putting it into action here as we try to get better in 2023 and beyond so next two weeks my current plan i got quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end as many freaking takeaways i can find about maybe some specific players but also just position in general and trying to help us in 2023 and beyond once again so big times ahead you know getting through these playoffs and everything not not too long we got free agency best ball dynasty season then we'll be right back in the nitty-gritty things as we always do in the offseason so again appreciate you guys tuning in i'm ian harditz thanks for checking out the pff fantasy podcast and until next time take care everybody <laughs>